so I I guess with mobile journalism, um, I got bitten with the bug of just of being a storyteller and producing content. And, you know, it doesn't, when you get bitten by the bug, you'll use whatever tools are at your disposal. That's why mobile journalism is so great because the tools are so easily in your hands. You know, if you want to be, a, if you want to just tell a story, if you want to shoot a film, if you want to do it, you know, you can start with just using your mobile phone or your, your smartphone. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Mobile Storytelling Podcast with me, Vitsa Felinka in Friesland in the Netherlands. And me, Bjorn Staschen in Hamburg, Germany. This podcast is about how to tell a story with your smartphone. And today we have a wonderful guest who has told many stories with her smartphone. It's Eleanor Mannion. She describes herself as a digital native video journalist and we'll discuss what that means. She works for Ireland's public service broadcaster RTE in and around Dublin. She even filmed a whole documentary on her smartphone. Welcome, Eleanor. Great to have you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And to kick off, how did you get started in the whole mobile storytelling uh, game? It was all very kind of, it was almost by accident. I think my start, my career in mobile journalism um, really shows how it can actually change your career path entirely. So um, back in 2014, I think, I was working in the newsroom in RTE, but I was working on the production side of things. So I was working in the gallery on our TV bulletins. And Glenn Mulcahy, whom you both know, um, start, he, at the time he was head of innovation in RTE and he started to roll out these mobile journalism courses. And I just thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And there was taster courses. So you just do a day um, to kind of, you know, kind of get an overview. And then I did that. And then there was a five day course with run with Glenn and Philip Bromwell. And the five day course had a a stipulation that you know at the end of it you had to produce um, a television report so at the end of the five days you had to have something tangible for RTE to broadcast um, and at that point I wasn't even a journalist so it was quite the leap so I went on the five-day course and I just took to it it just you know kind of like I would would have been into photography anyway and storytelling um, and it just I just found it very freeing and um, just kind of gave me the tools that I needed very simply to tell um, stories. So I think so I the course started on the Monday and by the Friday uh, at, on the one o'clock bulletin, I had a 90 second TV report that I filmed and edited myself. My first ever TV. Uh, TV report, my first ever piece of journalism for RTE. So it was quite the, um, it was quite the the mountain to climb, I suppose. Um, so that was my start. That's how I got into it. And I then after that, I was just hooked. What was it about your first package? Um, I think it was the fact that you have so much control. I think it was it was that you know if you're nervous starting out and you're trying to figure out what your voice is, you're trying to figure out what your style is you're on your own so you're not I suppose you're not you don't feel like you're wasting anybody else's time you're not asking for a crew to go out with you um, so you have time to kind of explore I suppose on your own and um, and if you find the right story that's visual which I did my very first story was about a garden exhibition so there was a, a garden sculpture exhibition so it was 
on the lawns of this beautiful house, um, old house in Ireland. And it was just, there was um, sculptures scattered all about the lawns. Um, and I also had time, it was my own time. So I had time to kind of set up my shots and ex and kind of explore different angles and different kind of um, ways to kind of shoot it. Um, I suppose it was that, it was that I had control, I had time and and then just the sense of achievement, like you come back with your shots and then when you're editing, you know what you have because you've shot it yourself. Um, so the editing is really enjoyable because, and also you learn better because if you don't film the shots that you need for your edit, the only person that's going to suffer is yourself. You don't have anyone else to rely on to pull it all together. Um, and, but, and then at the end of it, I suppose, it's just that achievement that you, you were part of every single process of that story. Sculptures from all around the world scattered across the gardens of one of Ireland's most beautiful houses. One of the artists exhibiting is the on-site blacksmith at Rusborough House, Gunvor Anhoy. It's a fantastic opportunity to be able to exhibit amongst all these well-recognised artists here. But, but being on your very first shoot as a journalist and then not having someone with you to tell you, hey, uh, maybe you should do it like this or maybe you should do it like that, didn't that in some way frighten you? Um, it was exhilarating is what I would say. Yeah, of course there was, there's anxiety, but it's the right kind of nerves where you're kind of like, I suppose it was balanced with the, oh my God, I'm being given the opportunity to do this. So it was balanced with the excitement of, of being allowed, being given, being allowed to do it balanced with the kind of anxiety of of oh my god can I do it um, and and Philip Philip Bromwell was part of that course and he he was very good at kind of sitting you down along with Glenn and just going through look these are the elements that you need to gather you know you need to get um you need to get in you know this is what the story is about um these are the you know what is as what like what was handy about it was they were stationary objects. They were just sculptures on a lawn. So you could plan to a, a large degree um, and have, you know, you know, just think of interesting variety of angles that you can shoot a sculpture from. Um, but I had been given great guidance and training by Glenn and Philip beforehand about like, you know, the kind of a, kind of a, like a checklist of like if you get these like elements like you know your five shot sequences and if you get maybe three or f four or five five shot sequences and you get an interview you know that should be enough to to get this over the line um and I did so yeah so I think it's a balance of excitement um and uh, and kind of nerves but the nerves help motivate you on to do your best it's quite daring isn't it because it's not only you as many journalists filming with a smartphone for the first time, but you not even being a journalist, but then you kind of went that path into journalism. Didn't your production colleagues shout traitor because you kind of killed their jobs in production? And didn't didn't the journalist shout, she can't do it, she's not a journalist because there's such a wall between the two departments? Um, there, yeah, 
I must say, generally, my colleagues were extremely supportive because I think when you pull something out of the bag, people are like, oh, my God, she, you know, really pulled it out of the bag. Um, so, so, so and I actually found like, let's say in particular, our camera operators, I found them to be incredibly supportive and very kind of um, I think they knew that there is that these things can work together there's that, that there's a there's a type of story that a mobile journalist will tell and then there's a type of story that will need your tra- more traditional crew set up and um, so they were very very supportive my production crew didn't think I was traitor well maybe they did a little bit in jokey kind of way but no they didn't really and I suppose the biggest task for me though was then kind of making that cross into journalism so proving myself as a journalist because I didn't come into it in what would have been a more traditional way. Um, but you know, there's several ways to get into everything, but you just, I suppose I was blazing that trail for the first time. What helped you to get into journalism then? What, what were the big things that helped you to, 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 to stay on that path? Um, I just, so I kept, so I finished the course. I had, so I, I had my package on my news report on the one o'clock news and Philip and Glenn were like you have to keep going you just have to keep going come up with ideas and just don't lose the skills that you've built up over the last five days so so that was it I suppose I went to our news desk and I just said if I come to you with ideas and if I'm mentored through it by Philip Bromwell who at the time was our mojo champion um in the newsroom um then they were like, yeah, go for it. So I suppose it was it was to kind of, a lot of it was done in my spare time to begin with. So I was a shift worker. So I was working seven day fortnights, 12 hour shifts, week, every second weekend. And then on a Wednesday, if I had a Wednesday off, I'd find a story and go film the story and turn it around and offer it to the TV editors, you know, program editors. Um, so, so it was motivating yourself to do it in your spare time. Um, but as I said, like I had... I had Philip mentoring me through it, which was a great comfort. Um, and then I suppose the other challenge is 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 learning is is is, is proving that you're rely- you're a safe pair of hands as well to tell the story. So I think they were the biggest challenges. I did go back then and do a master's in journalism as well, um, just to kind of um, back up the skills that I had and kind of rubber stamp my my kind of my qualifications, I suppose. But how do you go from doing that to actually making a whole documentary in this style? I actually still don't know how that happened. <laughs> um, I mean, you asked me, you asked me, what was I nervous? I think, it, again, when it comes to the, to the collectors and the documentary, I think a lot of times, I maybe this is my style, I jump in feet first. And then afterwards go, did that just happen? I just can't believe that just happened. So it was. So did you go out with the plan of making a documentary? No. Did so, you... so I I guess with mobile journalism, um, I got bitten with the bug of just, of being a storyteller and producing content. And, you know, it doesn't, when you get bitten by the bug, you'll use whatever tools are at your disposal. That's why mobile journalism is so great because, The tools are so easily in your hands. You know, if you want to be, if you want to just tell a story, if you want to shoot a film, if you want to do it, you know, you can start with just using your mobile phone or your your smartphone. Um, But I had, I had, I had joined another course in RTE, a brainstorming course. And, um, and it was to generate new ideas for 
uh, documentaries for RT1. And I we spent two weeks brainstorming and going through brainstorming techniques. Um, and it was re- it was really fun. And we had to kind of come up with ideas. I came up with this idea about peop- why people become attached to items and why they collect them. Kind of a pop psychology look at why people would collect an, an object and become so attached to them and have their whole identity defined by them. I had I was pitching it as like just you know trying to get funding for to produce a, a, a one hour documentary for RTE in the way that you would always produce it like you'd get your crew and you'd get your you know assistant producer and um but to prove the concept for the documentary particularly for the kind of documentary I was making I had to make produce um a sizzle reel you know like a little taster of what the documentary would be like and it was kind of very important for the collectors what became the collectors um it was very important to do that because it was very character driven so on paper it sounded good but but it was it was definitely a concept that was driven by characters and you needed to have characters that jumped off the screen um so i had to go find those so i found a couple of collectors and i produced a i think it was 3 or 4 minutes of what we call a sizzle reel so it was just like a four minute like this is what the documentary will be like you know please give me money or please please green light it basically um I did that because at that point I was up and running as a mobile journalist for two years and I had I had kind of produced a handful of of uh, reports for the tv news and they've done very well um so I was kind of well well experienced then in terms of filming on a phone and stuff like that. So I just went off by myself around Ireland, found a couple of collectors and filmed it using my phone. So at the time, I think it was an iPhone, I think it was an iPhone 5 or 4 or something. And um, I filmed it using Filmic Pro and I edited it at the time using Pinnacle on iPad. Yeah. Which is a predecessor of Luma Fusion. We talked to... Terry Morgan two episodes ago. I used to, oh, I loved Pinnacle. Um. I, I remember the, the, the start of the documentary stating that you have to be a bit mad to be a collector. Didn't the production team also say to you, you have to be a bit mad to do a documentary like this? Yeah, so it worked. You would a mad woman filming people <laughs> who were a bit mad, yeah, you know, you know, so it was all very, you know, it all, it worked. But, but, but what was interesting about the scissor reel was I sat down with, like, it was amazing access. Like, I sat down with the commissioning editors of all our genres, you know, doc, in RCE, all our, all our uh, department, you know, we've genres. So we've entertainment and we have factual and I'm sure it's, just, you know, and I sat down with all the genre heads. So there was about four different genre heads there. And then there was the head of RT1, the, the main commissioning person for RT1. And I showed them my scissor reel. And they loved it because if anyone has seen the collectors, Lillian, the Coca-Cola collector, is in it. So she just, you know, blows people away the minute she comes on screen. She's just so full of life and she's so... And her, and, and her kitchen is just, you know, it says it all. Her kitchen is entirely decked out in Coca-Cola memorabilia. I love it for myself. I love the colour. It's red and white. It's the cock colours. 
and I like the way the, way the Coca-Cola is written. It's lovely. To me, it doesn't look tacky. When you put it all together, I think it looks well. And they loved it. And then the second thing was, they were like, well, how did you make that? And I, and I told them and they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that it was filmed on an iPhone, edited on an iPad. They just thought it was amazing. And I did it as well as that because timing is of the essence with those things and mobile journalism is amazing for quick turnarounds. So I filmed it on a Tuesday and Wednesday and I had it, I was, had it in front of them by the Friday. But then came the crunch point. I mean, they were kind of proper television people. They said, yeah, nice, you've done it on the phone, that's really impressive, but now you take a proper crew. I mean, how did you convince them to film the whole thing on the phone? I think it was, it was, it was Glenn. So it was between, it kind of, I can't really take credit for this. Um, it was Glenn. So at the time, they, the head of Factual was um, a guy called Sean McGillifork. And he was really interested in mobile journalism and what mobile journalism could mean for documentary making and how that they how they could tell their stories. And I and like the most obvious um, style being the diary entry. Could you have greater access to your characters because you send them home with the phone and say, right, record a diary entry every night. So, you know, he was kind of looking at like that, that kind of aspect of how can we how can we expand like an innovation on how we tell our stories using the mobile phone. Um, so he was kind of thinking along those lines anyway. I came back with a scissor reel. He was really impressed with it. And then he had a chat with Glenn um, Mulcahy, and who, as I said, was the head of innovation in RT at the time. And Sean was, I think they just had a conversation about like how impressive um, the footage was and how, how well it looked and how, you know, you could probably go sustain a full hour um, using a phone and they decided to go for it and then they asked me they were like look you've been commissioned for your documentary The Collectors you can make it the traditional way or you can make it using your mobile phone. And were there moments when you were out filming it where you said I wish I had taken the proper camera crew which were the moments where you kind of said no that was a mistake? So that was, okay, so I was filming in, I suppose I was filming in 2016, I have to think back. There definitely were, I mean, I was very nervous. I would say 70% of the time I was by myself shooting. And then maybe the other times I had Jean Devlin, who was the producer on the documentary, along with me. Um, so I think, I, sp I suppose the first few days... The first few days of filming, I probably did think, I wish I had someone with me. I wish I wasn't on my own. Because it is an awful lot. You know, you're a one-person band. So you're controlling both the visual storytelling and the uh, kind of the narrative. And you're juggling th those two very, very important aspects in your head at the same time. So you're talking to your person. You're talking to your character, your cast. You're trying to see you know, where their story is, how their story is going. And at the same time, you're trying to figure out in your head, what visuals do I need to tell this story? So it's, an, it's, it's a lot to kind of balance in your head. So there were times where I thought, wouldn't it just be great to not have to worry about the visuals? Wouldn't it be great to just have to worry about talking to the person and getting them to open up and getting them to reveal themselves to me? Um, but 
I didn't know any different at the same time. I had never produced a documentary in the kind of more traditional way. So I kind of worked with what I had. So, yeah. And like I said before, being on your own can be nice when you're trying to build your confidence and just kind of explore your style. And it was nice for the people in the documentary as well, because they, they all, all of them said to me how easy they found it because it was just me coming to their home with a small smartphone filming you know bits and pieces with them over the course of a few weeks a couple of months and um, it wasn't intimidating it wasn't daunting for them it was very um intimate so um yeah so the event the advantage there was huge but then you go from filming a documentary which was well received i believe uh people loved it people loved the way you did it and then to where you are now where you're producing uh social stories short stories why did you go from documentaries to the short form did you not like documentaries no i love i loved it loved it and i think the i think the plan is to go back i would love to to make it to direct another documentary um i guess um i think I think I think in my head, um, for me, it's about experience and challenges. So I went from producing, directing an observational documentary, long form and long form in duration, but also in the way you approach it. Like it, you know, it's over the course of several months and you're teasing out the story And, you know, you're allowing like a narrative arc to flow and you're trying to find out, you know, you know, like what the per who's the A character, who's the B character. And um, and it's very nice and it's a different pace. Um, and I think the opportunity came to up around the same time I, the collectors finished up and the opportunity came up to join Philip Bromwell on his team. And it was a brand new team, which was really exciting to me. No one had ever done it before in the newsroom in RTE. And then it was more and it was a different type of storytelling. Again, it was storytelling bespoke for social, for a different kind of audience, told in a different kind of way to be consumed, not on TV, to be consumed on smart devices and tablets. And the, dura the duration of them were short form. Um, and all of those challenges of, you know, that different kind of style of story storytelling, all those challenges just appealed to me and was like, you know, not to say tick, I've, I've directed a documentary and now I know there's all there is to know about documentaries. I don't, but it was just, it was the timing of it was just like, I was ready for a new challenge and this challenge came along. So yeah, so I think that's where I'm at, but, but I definitely would love to make another documentary. It's quite interesting, a team that is concentrating on telling stories Though you're at a television station for mobiles and to be consumed um, on mobile phones, and what are these stories about? What is the the kind of the the, the main uh, content that that you look for? It's 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 very close to kind of people, isn't it? It's not news really, but it's the people who are actually Sean McGillifourick, who I had mentioned previously, is the head of, head of actual. He commissioned the collectors. He calls our stories mini docs. That's what he said to me. He's like, they're not like news stories. They're more like mini docs. And they are. They can be three, three and a half minutes long. 
they can be even longer. Um, as you know, if you're producing something for TV, a lot of times you have to get it down to 90 seconds. But yeah, so there, we're a small team and our focus is social media. So RTE News um, has a profile on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and it has an app um, and it also has a website. And we're... Are we so are we create content bespoke for those platforms, but also bespoke to be consumed on those on smart devices. And what are the stories about? Tell us a bit. I mean, tell, tell us your your favorite story. So the stories are more yeah they're 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 more human interest stories. They might talk about bigger issues of the day, but they might be from a particular person's point of view. Um. Philip, Philip calls them small stories with a big impact. So they might be related to things like homeless stuff, you know, stuff that's going on in Ireland, like homelessness crisis, or, you know, it might be to do with Black Lives Matters. But we'll tell them from, they're more people focused. Um, and a lot of time we'll try and get the person to drive the narrative rather than there being a journalist, journalist voice. And we try, we, try, we try to get them to drive the narrative of the story. So, yeah, they would tend to be more human interest, um, social issues and targeted as well at young people. So we try and target a younger audience and we try and get younger people into our stories and a more diverse audience. So kind of stories that you wouldn't normally see on the, on the TV news with people that you wouldn't normally see on the TV news as well. So we make an effort to kind of tell stories that are, you know, matter to young people. Like, you know, they matter to a lot of people, but they matter to young people as well, in particular, like climate change and Black Life, Life Matter. Um, but you won't see... You won't see any officials or mayors or stuff like that in your no. stories. No, and a lot of time it might be, I'm just trying to think of examples. So, you know, it might be like the Black Lives Matter. I produced um, a three and a half minute piece for that, but it was told entirely from the point of view of three young black Irish women. And they were talking about what it's like for them to grow up in Ireland being black and Irish. Um but they were the only voices. It was their voices. They're looking at the camera. They're driving the story. They're just giving you their experience. Um, and, and like, they're, yeah, so it was produced in a way that would never work on TV either. You know what I mean? It's produced with social in mind, with, with the platform in mind and with the device that it's being consumed on in mind as well. Um, so they're subtitled, they're vertical videos. Um, they... They kind of they might have a lot of graphics in them. Um, we tend to because we know people are scrolling on their news feeds. We try and get you in with a hook at the start. So the hook at the start could be a strong soundbite or our strongest visual or both. Um, so we don't start them in you know a, a way that would be more typical of of television storytelling. There's definitely a way of telling stories for social that are very social. So it's almost like you give a little five second promo of your three minute piece in the first 10 seconds. You have to hook them within the first uh, 10 seconds. We often, um, I can't remember the name of the person, but it was a guy who works for Google said with with the videos that they, and he was talking specifically about advertising for, um, uh, for people on social and online. He said you have to, with your audience, you have to, in the first 10 seconds, you have to give them dessert or punch them in the face. 
So you kind of have to keep that in mind because they're scrolling through their their news feeds. They'll easily pass you by if you don't grab them. And if it's subtitled and if it has strong visuals and if it's made bespoke for, you know, to be consumed on a mobile phone, you know, you've got a greater chance of them stopping and looking at your content. And our team has been up and running now for a couple of years and we've proven we've proven that concept because our the engagement the shares, the comments, the views on our stories is unbelievable. Like we, we, we get record views and comments um, and shares and interaction basically on our stories. And what started happening now is our stories gravitate then onto TV or onto radio as yeah, well. That is an interesting point because you, you say you produce them most of the time like for vertical consumption on a phone But then you have to uh, use material that you shot for horizontal television. So how do you shoot and which ways did you find of using material that you shot horizontally in a vertical format? Because th there are different ways I saw, uh, I, I saw that uh, in, in your stories. Yeah, so we like part of our team. So our team is if I think back to what we were doing two years ago to what we're doing now, it's it's quite different how we're doing it in some ways because we're constantly, I suppose, changing and innovating because the landscape with the platforms that we're producing for are constantly changing. Certain elements remain, subtitles, you know, it's certain kind of aspect ratios. But when we started first, we, were, we tried a bit of square ratio. We tried a bit of four by five. Now we're, we're definitely dedicated to the nine by 16, the vertical. But always we sh we always shoot in 16 by 9 in landscape so we shoot using filmic pro we we shoot in 4k so the quality is higher so that if you do change your aspect ratio it the quality of the footage is remains at a high at a high quality and also means you can push in on shots so you've got more um you've got more versatility there you know if you if you didn't frame something quite right or it, you just need something to be a bit tighter You can push in on the shot in LumaFusion um, and you don't degrade the picture quality. So that so we shoot we, we always shoot in landscape 4K. So and then we edit it vertical. And I suppose then as as a as a visual storyteller, for me that was one of the hardest things to adapt to. And I still am trying adapting to it, is recognizing in a 16-9 picture what will work in a vertical edit. So I guess it was just trial and error for us. So I would go and shoot something and come back and then try and fit it into a vertical frame and just be so frustrated by it going, oh, I you know, didn't shoot it loose enough or, you know, or I missed that opportunity there. So there's obvious things like I had a package. So it's trial and error. So I, I, I kind of realized that a lot of time you need to maybe loosen a shot a bit. But then there's obvious things that work well in vertical. People work well in vertical because they are vertical. It's called portrait format, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Um, and then buildings and certain things. You just, it's like, it's like any skill. Once you start to hone it, you start to see it everywhere and you start to see it in your stories. So even though you're shooting landscape, you're looking at something going, that is going to work so well in vertical. So you can, you can, you can start to see it, but it is a skill that you have to practice, practice, practice. And being your own editor, being the, own edit, being the editor of your own stories, again, is a great way to learn that because when you're back in the edit, 
you realize you haven't shot something the right way or you've missed something. Um, so, for example, I did a story recently that did extremely well for us. It was a really great lockdown story. It was like, what was what 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 has been your lockdown project? And one um, man who was who's cocoon. We call it cocooning in Ireland, where our elderly, our older uh, population had to stay indoors. Um, so he himself and his wife had to stay indoors, and um, he also had an underlying condition. So he was particularly vulnerable um, to the coronavirus. He was a retired stonemason, so he decided to build a lighthouse in his back garden. So straight away, you can you can see that a lighthouse in a vertical edit is just going to be a total gift, and it was. Um, and that's an obvious easy one. And then I suppose, you know, it's just recognizing you're kind of trying to hone your skill then to recognize the less the less obvious um ones as well um but it's the same skills in terms of like convergence you know the same kind of photography skills but just you're kind of you're putting it into a different aspect ratio what what is the position of of your team in the whole RTE scheme? I mean, how are the the big shot TV news teams viewing what you guys do? They love it. No, because we we really have proven ourselves. We're a small team. There's only at the moment there's three of us, almost four. I think we we have one person who uh, Sinead, who is with us um, on and off. So and hopefully will be with us more often. Um, and for a small team, we have, I think, I feel like we've made a big splash. Um, and, and, and we're viewed where, yeah, no, we, we, we've kind of, we've really proven ourselves because I think we got a really nice email from our manager in the, during the COVID, um, pandemic when when the entire country was in lockdown because and it's true he was like your team has really come into its own here because you know we weren't people were in lockdown now journalists were considered were deemed essential workers so technically we could travel at anywhere we wanted to but nobody was really going outside you know it was like your interviewees didn't really weren't comfortable meeting you so a lot of what we were doing was um you know we were doing a lot of stuff over like we would can't ring someone and say and and get them to fill it them film it themselves um and you know again using their phones so we'd give them little mini mojo um crash courses in the space of like half an hour get them to record stuff send it back to us edit it turn it around and that content was that content was going on social it was going online and it was going on tv um and and it was and it was good quality as well because we were able to direct them so well because we knew we know what it's like to film on a phone so we know the pitfalls and and we knew you know clean your lens you know stand near a window have the light looking at you you know we had we had we had things that we were just we were really we were just ready able we were ready to go um and we were able to guide people uh, through that so that put us in has put us in good standing but but apart from that, the bespoke content that we go out and film and produce has done extraordinarily well um, on the RTE platforms. So you've done very well. You have invented a format, kind of. You've invented storytelling for social in Ireland in a way. Then you've reinvented yourself during Corona, telling people how to shoot stories so you can use their material. So that's it. 
just leave it there, you know, leave it at a high point or where do you go to? What do you think is the potential of what you do? Where do you see your future? Oh my God. It's just a little question. <laughs> it's just Very a little serious. question. I think it's keeping up. I think it's never resting on your laurels and innovating, innovating, innovating. You know, we're like any organization in the world, we're chasing the younger audience and we have to chase them to wherever they are. And we have to... So TikTok. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's something that we have to look at, I suppose. Um, or, or whatever comes after. Or whatever comes after. Reels, reels. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, um, and, and we have to look at how they're telling the stories themselves because this is the most savvy social media generation we've ever encountered. And they tell their own stories. And I learn from them. Like, I... I watch tiktok loads i'm i i'm a lurker on tiktok i love it and i'm always so when will we see your first tiktok when will we see you do a little <laughs> no, dance and um, but i'm always amazed at like the 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 creativity and everything so yeah i guess it's for for our team it's it's just constantly remembering who our audience is and where are they and how are they consuming that content and what are the kind of stories that they're interested in and i think if we constantly ask ourselves those questions um, and try and evolve and innovate to be to tell the stories that they want to see or hear you know that's kind of the big challenge and that's con that's where we're where, that that is always our next i think um but also technology as well technology is going to change is changing and you know philip has done a bit with 360 cameras and you know you're kind of, you also have to keep an eye on what's out there and you know what what kind of technology can we bring into our storytelling well thank you so very much eleanor for uh taking us on a tour through the rte experience of going from a uh, starting journalist to a documentary maker and now to a social media person because that's what you you are now um so thank you for joining uh, us and telling about that uh, that was the eighth episode of the mobile storing uh, podcast with me Vitsefalenga in Friesland and me Bjorn Staschen in Hamburg if you like what you hear please share our podcast comment on what you hear you can find us on all major platforms so thanks for listening and bye 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 <laughs>